Come on, good morning, Chapel Mosley, Richmond, men and women in Chesterfield County Jail. Come on. Tell the person next to you, you look good today. Come on, tell them you look good and you can be seated. Well, good morning. So glad to have you here. Welcome to the chapel. And uh, we're in the last week of our series called Hills and Valleys. I'll tell you about that in just a second. But I always love to look in the back of the room at the camera and say good morning to the chapel in Richmond, 1115. I know a lot of the 930 switched to 1115 in Richmond to make space. So we're so thrilled. I mean, we're in our greatest season ever in the chapel in Richmond. So love you guys there. And, uh, and of course, men and women in Virginia Department of Corrections and it's always amazing to me that while we're having church in Chesterfield County Jail as well, the men, men's service and then the women's service in Chesterfield County Jail. And we always say it, you're not a project to us, you're our people. In fact, I got to meet right before this service a guy named Paul who was baptized a couple of years ago when they brought um, some people from, from Harp here in person. And then he is out and with us for the first time in this room. I won't single him out, but I'm glad he's here. And uh, so we love you guys. So thankful to be a part of what God's doing, man. Yeah, there he is. Come on. Give it up for Paul right there. Come on, stand up. If you're comfortable standing, I'm glad you're here today, man. So glad. So glad. What a joy as a church to be able to bring all of who we are into, into those facilities and build a community. We're so thankful to be able to do that. Um, I want to just tell you one more thing, too, before we dive into the message. that uh, You're here at the 1115 service, and I'm telling you, there are three other services that are the best you can imagine. And that is the 8 a.m. I'm talking to 1115, so I figure I won't sell that long. But the 8 a.m. lets you beat the Baptist to brunch. And then 4.30, man, 4.30, it's just crazy. We're not live streaming, so I can talk about my family. They won't even know it. And, uh, and we're going to bring back hot dogs if we have to. And then uh, as well, I love what God's doing in the Chaplain Mosley. If you live west on Hull, we had our biggest, two weeks in a row, our biggest again Sunday this morning um, at the chapel at Mosley Elementary School. And so if you're just interested in finding out a little bit more about the different service time options where there's tons of space, um, just raise your hand and let, me, let us just give you this card. We're not going to pressure you with it. If somebody would raise their hand, though, it'd help me just feel better about myself. And so uh, come on over here, over here. Come on, just wherever, just humor me. Come on, just raise your hand up high. And what, what, what these are is options to kind of spread us out over different locations. And we encourage the 8 or the 4.30 or the 9.30 uh, as well in Mosley and so thankful for what God's doing in the life of our church in different places and different spaces. So thank you. Thank you. Like you heard a second ago from Pastor Joel, thank you for committing 21 days of prayer. There's nothing like having a church on a Saturday prayer meeting that's in overflow. Come on, are you not the best people in the whole world? And uh, so thank you for praying. And today, like you've heard, we're so excited to open our brand new uh, small group directory. It's sort of like the Cheesecake Factory menu, okay? How many know what I mean, Cheesecake Factory? You open it and you're like, wait, you have Chinese food and spaghetti? Like what is, it? like 200? So we have, so take a little bit of time to peruse through different options, locations, days of the week, but find the group that fits you. There's something about connecting in smaller groups and we, we're so excited. In fact, I'm so proud we have some brand new, more, more leaders jumping into their first ever group they've ever led. So proud of them. And one last chance to still to register your group as we're pushing groups for the 
the next couple of weeks. So excited about that. And then uh, one last thing I'm supposed to say, and that is next weekend, we're starting a brand new teaching series that I think is a perfect one to invite somebody. It's the Old Testament book of Song of Solomon, okay, uh, which is going to be spicy. And uh, that means we're going to spend four weeks talking about God's best plan for marriage and relationships and sexuality. And uh, if you're new to church, Song of Solomon is a letter. It's love letters written between Solomon and his, and his lover. And they, they flirt, they, they fight. Come on, I'm going to help you fight um, appropriately. And uh, uh, anybody married over 10 years? Come on, okay, help you argue well and... Uh, healthy. Uh, uh, and then chapter four in a couple of weeks, we'll get this really kind of PG 13 or I don't know, it might be rated R. Uh, but, um, but we're going we're gonna to look for the whole month of February as a church and just jump in. To, we're not as a church going to shy away from the fact, how many know God created us for flourishing in relationships and he has a plan for our relationships and our sexuality. And in the culture we live in, the church cannot run away from that. And I get a big... Amen. So we'll dive into that. Can't wait for next weekend. It'll be, it'll be really fun. I can't wait. Um, and, and so, uh, in fact, the first verse, uh, well, I'm not going to preach it. They talk about smelling good and perfume, and that, that's where we'll start next week. I don't know why I said that. It really has nothing to do with anything. Uh, so just already working on the message, so you know that. Um, well, uh, we're finishing up this series called Hills and Valleys, and we're looking at some of the most famous mountains and some of the most famous valleys in, in, the, in the Bible. And in fact, maybe the most famous sermon that was ever delivered was delivered on a mountain. In fact, it's called the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus literally, the Bible says that he went and Jesus saw these big groups of crowds. And so he went up on a mountainside and he sat down and his disciples came to him and he began to teach them. And so... It's called the Sermon on the Mount because Jesus taught it on a mountainside. That's why you come for that kind of deep preaching. And, and in these three chapters, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Jesus outlines the principles of the kingdom. And, and, and on this mountain, Jesus actually gives a, a, a good portion of chapter 6 to dealing with a valley issue that we struggle with. And that is he talks about uh, anxiety and worry and, and uncertainty. And so I want to talk to you about Jesus teaching on anxiety and worry. And let's just admit it in life. Come on. How many know we live in a stressed out culture? In fact, I was reading, I'll read a couple of statistics, but one of the most interesting things that I read this week, did you know even our pets are stressed out? I was writing about anxiety in dogs. I don't know if you ever noticed this. When my dog's riding in the car with us, he shakes. And I'm like, somehow we have made our dog anxious. And uh, anybody else have an anxious dog or is it just me? Okay, great. Uh, National Institute of Mental Health said 50 million Americans fall, felt the effects of panic attacks and phobias this last year. That anxiety disorders are the number one and number two mental health problem for women and men in America. Stress-related ailments cost our nation $300 billion annually. And, and you could think, well, stress is an adult thing, but I read some statistics that our students are dealing with anxiety and stress at a level higher than ever before. Our students reported all-time lows in overall mental health and emotional stability. In fact, this statistic grabbed me that the average child 
today exhibits the same level of anxiety as the average psychiatric patient in the 1950s. And so we live in a culture with all the medical advances and technological advances. We live in a stressed out culture and an anxious culture. And the Bible addresses this. In fact, when I was thinking this week about whether or not you're stressed, I, I wrote down a couple questions just for you to ask yourself, maybe to assess whether or not you've slipped into this rut. Are you laughing less than you once did? Do you see problems in every promise? <laughs> Would those close to you describe you as increasingly negative and critical? Do you assume something bad is going to happen? <laughs> Would you rather stay in bed lots of mornings? Do you magnify the negative and dismiss the positive? And I think how you answered some of those questions, and even as we think through anxiety, we want to learn that Jesus has more for us than to live a, an anxious life. How many want to live a peace-filled life? Come on, right? And, and in fact, I think the truth is uh, anxiety is part of something we all struggle with. Now, there is about 4 to 5% of the population that is always chill at every time. Come on. If you are never anxious, hardly ever, just raise your hand so the rest of us can be angry at you. Not happy with you. Not happy with you. Come on. Like, what's wrong with you, you know? Why can't you be stressed out like the rest of us? And Jesus deals with it straight on in this story. He tells us, I'm telling you not to, come on, not to what? Not to worry about everyday life. So Jesus hits it head on. Hey, we're not supposed to worry. And, and, and I don't want this sermon to come across like this. Hey, 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 don't worry. Stop it. Don't worry. Then you can be guilty and stressed out. Come on, like Jesus said, don't worry. So you're sinning. Oh, now I'm anxious and I'm guilty. You know, thanks, Pastor. And, and I, I don't want you to hear it, but I think what Jesus is saying it with compassion in his heart. He's saying to, there's a better way to live, a better way to exist. Don't be anxious. You don't have to worry, he says, about your everyday life. He says, I know there's things to worry about if you're going to have enough. If you have enough food or drink or enough clothes. Like, I understand you got to worry about paying the bills and, and seeing your life met. But he reminds us life is more than these simple things that we need to sustain us. And, and so Jesus teaches us, the first thing he teaches us is, is something that our culture says the opposite is, and that is that money can't bring you security. Only God can. How many know money can't bring you security because it wasn't intended to bring you security, right? And by the way, we're going to next week on Saturday have a financial one day where some of the business leaders in our church are leading sessions on how to get out of debt and how to plan for retirement, how to be wise stewards. So we're for all of that. But, but let's be careful in our own lives that we don't look to money as though money can bring us security. Proverbs tells us that the rich think of their wealth as a strong defense, but, but it is not true. Money cannot make you secure. How many know the housing market can go up and it can go down? How many know the stock market can go up and it can go down? How many know your job can go up or it can go away? Come on. And, and when we look to money to bring us security, we're asking money to do something it wasn't created to do because our security was designed to be found in our relationship with God and not our relationship with stuff. Come on, somebody. How many admit we got a lot of stuff, right? In fact, the book of Ecclesiastes actually says that the more stuff you have, the more anxious you become. So people actually think, well, once I get a lot of stuff, I won't be anxious. Well, once you have more stuff, you just have more stuff. Uh, has anybody shocked with me at the amount of self-storage 
in our community. Come on, like every time I see them starting to build something, I'm like, I wonder what that'll be. Self-storage, you know. In fact, I have this dream that one day in a few years, all four of my kids will move out and we'll sell our house and move into a one-bedroom condo where the outside maintenance is taking care of somebody else. I told Katie, I have this dream that I'll have like two pair of jeans and a laptop. And that's all my stuff. Like, that's it. I'll wear disposable shirts. You know what I mean? Like, like I do not, I'm just like, like that just sounds like amazing to me to not have to worry about any stuff. Christmas decorations, nope. You know, nothing, nothing. I, I just like, I don't know, I, the tiny house thing. How many have seen the little tiny house thing? That's like a dream of mine. I just want to live in a tiny house near the river. You know what I mean? And, and the truth is the more stuff we get, we, we think it makes us secure. But oftentimes, I'm just reminding us, Jesus says, there's always going to be stuff to have. But, but your stuff, your money, it doesn't offer you security. In fact, he tells us the reason you can trust God. I picture Jesus. I picture him just kind of holding his hand like this as he sits on the mountain. And he points at the field and he says, look at the lilies of the field, how they grow. They don't even make their own clothing. Yet Solomon, the richest man in all his glory, was not dressed as beautiful as they are. Think of this. In the ancient world, they had uh, um, wood, wood stoves in the home to heat, and they would take uh, grass that was brown, cut it, and they would use it as a fire accelerant, kind of like kindling to start fires. And Jesus says, you see this grass that's dressed so beautiful? I'm telling you, if God cares so wonderfully for these grass, these flowers that are here today, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more does God care about us? <laughs> Here's what he's saying. If he'll spend the time, the God of the universe, to let the flowers grow and the grass grow when their life expectancy is a month, how much more will he take care of us, right? And it's a reminder to us that if God clothes temporary things like flowers, he'll take better care of you. Uh, A few years ago, I was preaching on some of these verses and the next verse is on birds of the air and I don't know if anybody remembers, it was like four years ago. I brought in a bird cage with two birds. And uh, I, I never forget, I, I, just, I was trying to buy the birds that week as a sermon illustration. This is a really dumb thing I did. I'm embarrassed. There's a store near my house called Wild Birds Unlimited. And I just saw, you know, Birds Unlimited. I thought they probably have a lot of birds. And so I went into Wild Birds Unlimited to buy birds. I don't know if you know the people that work at Wild Birds Unlimited but they are not much a fan of capturing wildlife. Like they live the opposite. So I just walked in and I was like, yo, you have any birds? And the lady was like, what do you need birds for? And I was like, I'm a preacher and I'm just gonna put them in a cage and preach. I'm gonna use them as a sermon illustration. So I just need some birds. And she's like, what are you gonna do after? I was like, I haven't really decided. And she's like, so you just wanna use these birds for your own selfishness. And for your religion. And I was like, totally, yeah. I got nothing, you know. She's like, sir, this is Wild Birds Unlimited. And I was like, so it's a no on the birds? And I walked out, you know what I mean? But Jesus says something interesting about the, the, the flowers of the field and the birds of the air. He's like, the flowers of the field do nothing to close themselves and God clothes them. And then he says, the birds of the air do nothing. They don't even have barns to store up stuff. But how many know every day that bird flies, it has to find a worm. And every day God provides for that bird. 
And here's what he's saying. If God can take care of the birds that are, that are here, there, and everywhere, and the grass that's here and gone, I'm, I'm just here to remind you today, you're worth more than grass. You're worth more than birds. Jesus takes care of us, right? And that's his whole point. If God will take care of that stuff, he'll take care of you and I. And that's what I want to remind us of today. God will take care of you and I, right? And he says, when you don't and I don't know that, our minds become obsessed with, what, with the future. He says, we think and our thoughts become like the thoughts of unbelievers. Like, how am I going to do this? And what if? And I'm not sure. And what's going to happen? And he says, this is the wrong way to think. It's like thinking, it's like you're a practical atheist. <laughs> you, you maybe wouldn't describe yourself as an atheist, but your anxiety almost betrays a worldview that assumes God isn't going to care for you. And he says, no, 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 let's not be like the unbelievers who worry about all these things. And he, he says, it's not God who takes care of you. Look at Jesus' words. It's your, what, heavenly, heavenly father. He could have chosen to say God takes care of you. That would have been right. But he chooses the, the, the title of father. And he says, your God already knows what you need. Here's what he's telling them, that when we worry it shows we don't really understand our status in the family of God. I'm just reminding you today, if you're a follower of Jesus, you not only are connected to the God of the universe, but he allows you to call him father. And how many know a good father doesn't leave his kids in a bad situation? And our good father will take care of us. That's what Jesus is trying to remind us. The world around you doesn't even know what's going on, but you have a good father who cares about you and loves you and will provide for you. And oh, the danger and the arrogance of our life to live our life anxious like a practical atheist as though we got to take care of our own self. And when, when, we, when it's the reality is our God takes care of us, right? Our God is faithful. I'm just reminding you today, that kind of thinking filled with anxiety is a worldly kind of thinking. It's a cultural kind of thinking. But when we realize we're not only created by God, but we have a family connection to him as our father, then we have comfort in a God who takes care of his people, right? How, how many of you have stories of God being faithful in your life? Come on, right? And, and what a reminder that is to us. I remember I was leaving for Bible college and I didn't have a vehicle and I needed a vehicle. And I remember one of the big times God provided for me, it was through my grandma. She gave me a, a maroon with wood panel uh, Chrysler minivan. Anybody remember those days back in the day? Come on, the wood panel and the maroon and and it had power windows, and I'll never forget how God provided me a car to go to Bible college. Not only, my grandmother asked me, how's it going? I said, it's going great. I discovered that when I would go to Walmart, I could take people, classmates with me, and I could charge them to ride with me to Walmart. So my grandma was like, how's it working? I was like, this thing is making me money. And she's like, how? And I was like, I charge everybody to ride with me. So I load them up. I'll put 10 guys in there. I'm just telling you. And I'm telling you, I learned that God would provide. I'll never forget three years later, I was still driving the van. My grandma actually was like, if I knew it would last that long, I would have never given it to you. Come on. 
But how many know God provides, right? And I'm just reminding you, we have a good father and Jesus is telling the people, don't you be anxious like the rest of the world that lives as though there is no God. You have a connection to God. And Jesus reminds us of this because I think this next point is core to why we worry so much. And it is that you can't live in the future what ifs, only in the present here is. How many know much of worry is what if? What if? Could it be that Did you know that? (laughs) How many know worry is a meteor shower of what ifs? (laughs) What could happen, right? It could go really bad, you know. I I discovered when I was shopping for a new January calendar that they not only make one-year calendar, they make two-year calendars, they make five-year calendars, right? And I was like, man, I don't need to worry about five years from now. You know, I just need a one-year calendar. In fact, I had a guy last week trying to convince me to put marbles in two glasses and approximate my life expectancy and every year take one marble out and put it in the other one so I could know how much life I've lived and how much life I have. He told me this like it was awesome. And I was like, I do not need a visual reminder about how soon I'm going to die. You know, like, bro, maybe that inspires you. I'm not down with that, you know, How many know no one really knows? In fact, I want to give you an encouraging thing that's in 13 times in the Bible. You should write this down. 13 times in the Bible, it says, no one knows. Pastor, is? No one knows. I have great news this morning. No one knows. How many know? No one knows who's going to win the election this year, except my mom, but no one else knows. Come on, how many, how many know? No one knows with the future. How many know? No one knows. <laughs> I'm, encur- I'm encouraging you. No one knows. And when you think you know, you're just borrowing trouble from the future, thinking you know something when you don't really know anything. Anyways, somebody said 95% of the bad things that have happened to me were things that never really happened. I just worried about them, you know. And here's the truth. It's this idea of, oh, I'm, I've got to know. I've got to know. I wonder, I wonder. My daughter's uh, Honda Accord has 316,000 miles on it, everybody. Well, when it was in the high 290s, she said, it's never going to make it to 300,000. And you know what I say to her every time? It's going to go another 1,000 miles. And then it hits that mileage. She'll say, Dad, it did it. And I'll say, it's going to go another 1,000 miles. And she says, you always say it's going to go another 1,000 miles. And I say, because I'm not buying you a car. (laughs) But I'm telling you, it's now got over 316. We call her Heidi. That's her nickname because she just keeps going. And, and I'm telling you, I said, that thing could go 400,000. She's like, 400,000. I was like, maybe it'll go 400,000. We'll just change the oil and you can keep driving it around and you back into a lot of things anyway, so we're fine. <laughs> but, but how many know? I don't know how many, mo- no, but I know, I know it's going to be okay today. And I'm telling you today, a worry is worrying about the future. Could it be? What if? I'm not sure. You never know. Did you know? I had somebody yesterday. I was like, can you believe how warm it is? And they were like, but it's going to rain tonight. And I was like, so what? (laughs) Bro, I grew up in upstate New York where you get 100 inches of snow every winter. It is pretty nice today, and and I'm just going to be happy. And if you think today's not a nice winter day, then I'm just correcting you before the Lord. Stop being so selfish. Come on, this is the day the Lord has made. (laughs) And I'm telling you, it's always what if, and did you know, and I'm not sure, and could it be, and and I'm telling you something, we borrow. In fact, let me ask you this question. Why would I worry about what might happen when I could just enjoy what is happening, right? 
And so many of us are actually in a good season of life. We're just worried about what could happen in the future rather than living joyfully where we are, right? In fact, anybody have a reason to be grateful today? Anybody? So what if instead of just worrying about tomorrow, we took a second and said, hey, I've got a great wife, four great kids. I'm part of the greatest church in this whole community. It's not snowing today. God is good. Football's on TV. Come on, somebody. How many just have a reason to give thanks today, right? And not a reason to complain. And I think this what if, Jesus says, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? No. You, you, can't, you can't predict tomorrow, so don't try to. I think we can actually tend to overestimate the actual danger and underestimate God's actual goodness in our life. So I'm walking my little dog off leash last night at nine o'clock. And I'm at a local community college because no one's there. It's an empty parking lot and the dog's just running around. I'm walking and a black van starts pulling up towards me and I'm like, oh no. This and it keeps coming towards me and towards me, and I was like, "Wow, this this person." And I'm thinking, "Who do I know with a firearm that's close to me?" You know, like, who should I text? And this van pulls right up, and I'm like, "Hi!" And this guy rolls on the window and goes, "Pastor!" And I'm like, "Hey!" I said, "How did you know I was walking my dog here? How did you know this?" And he said, "Oh, I didn't. I'm teaching my son. He got his permit, and we're trying to find an empty parking lot to to to." to uh, just drive around in. And he said, what's the sermon on tomorrow? And I said, anxiety. He's like, oh, I need that. He's like, I'm, I'm not so anxious right now. I was like, I need it too because a black van at nine o'clock at night. So I want you to picture this. I'm working all week on a sermon on anxiety and I see this van coming at me and the things I'm thinking are like, maybe it's Brander Mill because we're expanding the building and they're mad, you know. Maybe maybe this guy's going to hit me. I mean, just crazy questions going through my mind. And how many know that's what we do? That's what what anxiety does, right? We, We overestimate the actual danger and we underestimate the goodness of God. God sent me here this weekend just to remind you, surely goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life and you'll dwell in the house of the Lord together. What if we were reminded of the psalmist who said, you do good and you are good. And what if instead of always living in the meteor shower of what ifs and fear, what if we started living like people of faith whose father will take care of us? right? Like what a difference that would make in our lives. All right. Well, let me give you just two uh, proactive uh, takeaways today, two applications before we close today, two proactive ways. You say, pastor, I'm dealing with, with worry. Let me give you two ways to battle uh, worry and, and two things that Jesus teaches us that will help us get over worry. Here's the first one. He teaches us that if we're going to If we're going to get rid of worry, it won't be by focusing on worry. It will be by focusing on God and his kingdom. Okay. So here's what Jesus said right in that same passage. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. And look, God will give you what? Come on. God's going to give you everything you need when you seek God's kingdom and God's righteousness. Everything else is going to fall into line. Here's the truth today. We sometimes think that getting over anxiety is focusing on anxiety, but it isn't. It's focusing on God and letting a different focus shift our life, right? My dad taught me when I was trying to mow straight lines in our lawn growing up. I was looking down. 
And he said, you'll never mow a straight line looking down. You're gonna have to find a focal point in the distance and mow toward. And I'm just telling us today, some of us are looking down too long at our own stuff, our own anxiety, our own struggles. And I'm telling you, the answer is not in us. It's in God's kingdom and God's righteousness. And I know this is totally against what Barnes and Noble teaches. Because if you go to Barnes and Noble this afternoon to the self-help section, you pull any book off of that, they're all gonna tell you this. You are so awesome that if all you do is stare at yourself and find the answers in yourself, you're gonna have a great life. And I'm here to be honest with you. The answer to your and my problem is not in you and me. It's outside of ourselves. Katie has this mirror in the bathroom. It's got a normal side and you spin it around and it's got a close. Come on, somebody, you ever seen one of these close-up mirrors? You're like, is that what I look like? <laughs> and, and, and the pores on your nose, you're like, turn that around, you know. What are you doing with that? I just, I don't want to see that. I don't need to. I'm just telling you this today, and I know you're pretty great, but if you look at you long enough, you're going to be depressed. I'm looking at you. I'm just telling you. The answer is not in us. The answer is, the answer is outside of us. And the whole culture says, if I just focus on me, I'll get better. But what if the answer to our problems is focusing less on us, more on God, and more on others, Right? And that's the answer. Culture says, do, 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 do. And God says, no, no, no. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these other things will be added to you. That's why we start with 21 days of prayer at the start of the year to say, God, the first part of this year we're giving to you. That's why the first day of the week, Sunday, we come to church. God, the first part of my week I'm giving to you. That's why 10% of our income tithe first goes to your kingdom, God. And I'm trusting you because when you put God first, the rest is blessed by him. And, and what he's teaching us is put, uh, go after God and his kingdom. All right, here's the last one. Tell the person next to you, wake up, last point. Come on, tell them, wake up. Come on, in Richmond, in the jail, wake up. The second thing that Jesus teaches, this is so good, is we have to learn to put a boundary on today. So here's what he's saying. You can't live in tomorrow. You can only live in today. Look how he says it. So don't worry about tomorrow. <laughs> tomorrow will have enough of its own worries. <laughs> Today's trouble is enough for today. So let me just remind us of this spiritual principle today. God only gives us enough mercy for today. So when I'm worried about tomorrow, there's no mercy for tomorrow yet. <laughs> there's only mercy for today. So the more I borrow tomorrow's troubles today, the less I have the strength to battle tomorrow's troubles today. Because God says, I haven't provided for that. The Bible says, as my days go, so my, shall my strength be. Meaning there's only enough strength for today, today. And guess what? When I get to tomorrow, there'll be strength for tomorrow. But when I today obsess about Tomorrow, there's only grace for today. And now I've outrun my coverage and there's no grace there. And so some of us are beaten down this weekend, not even by the problems we're facing. It's by the problems we think are coming next. 
Katie's grandpa lived to be 102 years old. He was a, a dairy farmer in Camden, New York. He ate steak and butter every meal for, for a century. He, in his 70s, was convinced he was going to die and planned out his whole funeral. And I'll never forget the day Katie's grandmother brought her grandpa the list of his pallbearers. This is a true story. You can ask her. She said, Homer, you're going to need to make a new list of pallbearers because all of these guys are dead. (laughs) He had been so convinced 32 years before his death that his day was coming. And he lived three decades more. I mean, I watched them say his name on the little jam on the Today Show. Remember that when they did that? 100 years. I'm telling you, some of you just convinced it's going to, I know, I know, I know how it's going to go. And what's happening is instead of putting a boundary on today and just living today, like with the grace God's given us today, I'm borrowing tomorrow's trouble and next week's trouble and next month's trouble. And I'm just telling you today, no one knows the future. No one knows. But our goal is not to know every detail of the future, but simply hold the hand of the one who does know the future, right? And Jesus is telling his followers, don't you dare live like copycat imitations of the anxious world around you. Not when your father knows what you need. And he motions with his hand. Look at all the flowers. Look at all the birds. Don't you think I got you? And that's from the heart of our Savior today. Don't you think I got you? 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 Today we receive the peace of God. Would you bow with me all over this room? If you're here today, I won't drag it out. But you say, Pastor, flat out, I'm more anxious than I need to be. And today I want to leave this anxiety right in my seat. Just hold your hand up all over this room. Come on, in Richmond, in the lobby. Come on, online, God. God, some of us are holding our hands up saying, we have let the anxiousness of life choke out our joy. And today, we are not even gonna stand up from these seats without leaving it right in these seats. We're not walking out of these rooms the same way. We've heard the voice of our Savior. We're confident in your love for us. So God, forgive us today. Because sometimes we thought we knew best and know best. and We understand the future, God, and we don't. You do. No one knows but you. So, God, I'm praying today for a divine exchange of anxiety for peace. I pray troubled hearts would be troubled no more. Thank you that you're a trustworthy God. Thank you that we not only pray to the God of the universe who's transcendent, but we pray to our Father who's imminent, our Father. You know what we need. You know what we face. You know what our struggles are today. God, oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. So God, we surrender everything we have to you. I pray the peace of God from the God of peace would be ours in abundance. We release our anxiety to you. 
And we just breathe in your, your peace, your calm. Look this way. Jesus has given us freedom, right? Freedom of knowing he cares and he loves. I'm just believing today that some of us are going to stand up in just a second, walk out these doors, but we're going to leave some things in our seats, some things, maybe some weights we didn't need to carry around. And we're just reminded simply of the loving care of our Father. Amen. In just a second, I'm going to pray for us and dismiss us. If you want a minute more of prayer, we always have a prayer team down front. They love to just agree with you and pray. You say, Pastor, I just need another minute with somebody to agree with me. Uh, they'll do that. And if you know somebody that you feel like maybe could use this message of anxiety, one more service today at 4.30, we have a chance to share this message of freedom. But uh, I felt like God gave me a word for our church this next year, that it was that we are to have a light spirit. And uh, I don't mean not a reverence for God. Of course, we're going to, but Jesus said, take my yoke upon you for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I think this ought to be a house of rejoicing, a house of joy. A house where people say, I'm, I'm just following a God who loves me and cares for me. Well, I'd love to pray for us today before we close. Would you stand with me all over this room? Would you stand in Richmond, stand in the lobby? Would you hold your hands like this all over this room? So God, thank you. We receive your peace today, God. We release the anxiety. God, I pray for your people as we walk into this week that we'd walk into all you have for us. So today, may God bless you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. For we pray it in Jesus' name. And everybody said together, amen. God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you next weekend, chapel. We love you.